It's episode 71 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I am Ryan Top, and joining me today, like always, is J.P. Breen. And Steve is off this week. He is taking care of a sick child, so he will be back in the new year. But for today, he is out once again. So it's just me and J.P. today, and we have uh, we have some things to talk about. How was uh, leg one of your journey through the Midwest, J.P.? Chicago traffic is a joy upon itself during the holidays um and we should give steve a shout out for not only taking by sick kid we mean vomiting child though when i talked to him this morning he said they were outside playing so apparently he's feeling better well but still it's best that you know we don't take the chance that anybody else has to start getting sick yeah i i do not need that in my life i'm going to be traveling all over the place during the holidays as well so i definitely don't need to be down with the flu down with the sickness as as Steve said, children are disease incubators. They do so, that exceptionally well, yeah. And we were talking about the fact that um, growing up, I I distinctly remember getting like a, the flu pretty badly over winter break in middle school and elementary school multiple times. Oh, in college, every single Christmas break, I would push to the end for the the semester finish. And then within a day or two, I would be incredibly sick. Every single one. I think it, I think it happened every single year. Well, that's what Steve's kid was doing. Pushing, pushing through finals. Yes. Yes. So anyway, uh, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page, which we do check occasionally. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, and we did have some more people join up this week, JP, uh, you can visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash tailgate. Our bowling glove Patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, and this month's featured our top tens. So, if you want to hear who we have in our top ten, we had a nice long conversation about who we have in our respective top tens. Some people that missed a little bit of arguing about why people should be in different spots, which very on brand. So, uh, make sure to check that out. And if you do sign up for the five dollar, uh, five dollar a month level you get access to all of the past ones. We've been doing them since February. So this last uh, month was our 11th. So you get access to all those archives if that is a thing you are looking for. For people who need uh, some light listening over long holiday trips, that's something that can help get you through the long, cold winters of the North. Hearing about... We do have some interviews with some very knowledgeable people to be able to go through it. But if you also want to hear Ryan and I like argue about somebody who is down in the DSL, like there's no better thing to be able to keep you company during the cold winter. Yes. What do you do when you when you take uh, long trips as far as do you? Is it music that you guys listen to? Do you have your podcasts a little bit here and there? Do you do the audiobooks thing? We've been doing audiobooks lately when we do long drives. No, don't do audiobooks. Uh it's mostly music. Sometimes we do some podcasts. I usually try to catch up on some NPR podcasts because that is what people would expect of me. And this is very uh, on brand. Yeah. Right. 
Um, so, but then going through Milwaukee or going through Chicago, actually, we usually put on their NPR station WBEZ, which is um, wonderful. So, being able to get that for a couple of hours throughout is is a nice change of pace. I like listening to baseball books, and Amy will often put up with them. My wife will sometimes put up with them. Um, lately, we've been listening to the complete Sherlock Holmes. So when we get a, on a nice long drive, pop in and listen to, you know, three or four Sherlock Holmes short stories or maybe, you know, run through half of one of the novels or something. So that's something that we can do. Um, anyway, Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. Um, there are a couple things to know about what's going on at Carbon 4 right now over the holidays. Uh, first off, on upcoming uh, December 28th, they are celebrating their six years anniversary and will be having a, a big uh, customer appreciation day. And they will be giving out um, things. There will be potentially you know, food, uh, dollar off specials, all sorts of things that you can do from 2 until 10 on the 28th. And also on New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve, they will be doing a uh, an event where uh, there will be an all-you-can-drink option for $20, and that'll be for four hours, and that goes from 5 p.m. until 9 p.m. So if you are interested in going and trying out a bunch of stuff and then taking a cab home like a good, responsible person, uh, that is a thing to look for on New Year's Eve from 5 until 8 uh, they also have some other things going on. They have a New Year's Eve menu and some other stuff. So check all that out. Um, as with anything, always go to Carbon4.com for more information on that stuff. Carbon4, beer brilliance. Please take a cab home if you need to over the holidays. We would love to hear from you after the holidays as well. So please be safe. Have fun. Please take a cab. And Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. If you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the Mix Pre 3 and the Mix Pre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, JP, so we had some news this week. Some things happened kind of late in the game here. And we're recording on Saturday afternoon, so who knows? There might be even more things by the time this hits your inbox on Monday morning on Christmas Eve. Um, the first thing that came down was the Brewers signing Corey Spangenberg uh, to a split contract. And we actually had right off the bat here, we have a, uh, a question from PB Brew Crew. Could you explain a bit about how Corey Spangenberg's contract works? It sounds like Spangenberg still has one option left, and he has two arbitration years in 2019 to 2020. If that's right, why did San Diego release him if they could have kept him in the minors for another year? As far as I can tell, he does have an option year remaining, but it's a standard split contract in which he's going to make $1.2 million at the major league level if he's on the major league level uh, of the major league roster. If he's down in the minors, he's going to make a quarter million. And as far as I do understand it, he does have an option remaining. I'm not 100% sure on that because there have been three different years in which he's been up and down from the minors to the majors. Um, but I think one of them was so short that it could have been uh, injury related, basically. And in terms of why they released him, it's important to remember that uh, as 
a team like the Padres have more and more young prospects coming up, they have a limited number of roster spots. And that's not just 25-man roster, that's 40-man roster. And if you don't have somebody that you think is going to be a long-term option on your organization, sometimes you have to be able to to call some spots to be able to go through. Um, Spangenberg is not somebody that was going to bring something via trade. So that's not really an option. So if you need to be able to just cut bait, sometimes you just need to be able to do those sorts of things, especially when you've got a lot of options coming through that are going to be able to save you money as well, because it, it, he's not making the minimum. So there's that option uh, or that there's that situation that could have prompted uh, San Diego to be to be parting ways. And what is his role for this team? I mean, he played if you kind of look around and see in 2018, he played 44 games at third. He played five games and left uh, even got in a game at shortstop. That was just a couple innings. Uh, 49 games at second base as well. I mean, are we looking at a guy who's a potential stopgap at second base and then a utility guy after that? Is that what Spangenberg is? I mean, Spangenberg is basically the, if nothing else happens at second base, he is the stopgap, right? They, they've looked at so many options at second base and they haven't pulled the trigger on anyone. And I think, you know, with Daniel Murphy, Daniel Murphy's deal kind of getting a little bit more money guaranteed than I was expecting, um, it's pretty clear to say that the Brewers are still looking for something that makes sense financially for them, or at least hitting their valuation, which we see again and again. And basically what they're doing with Spangenberg is exactly what they did with somebody like Gallardo last year, is they're saying, if nothing else happens, you're on the roster and, and we've got it covered. But if they need to part ways or they need to send him to the minors, he's more uh, utility depth. Um, he is somebody that can play multiple different positions has done it over a long period of time, has a little bit of speed and is, you know, he's, he's the, a little bit more, um, the non shortstop version of Tyler Saladino, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Last year hit 235, uh, was a batting average, 298 on base percentage, 362 slugging, not a great overall line. It, it was down considerably, or at least, you know, somewhat, from his 264, 322, 401, 2017. And again, these are numbers that are coming out of San Diego. So the, you have to well, take that with a grain of salt as well that, you know. But he's not, he's not a great hitter. No. Right? I mean, that's, that, there's, no, there's nothing to really say that. What he can do is draw some walks. He can, he can run a little bit. He can play multiple different positions. And if you're lucky, he's going to hit 270. Um, that's not any, there's a reason why they're not saying you're going to come in and be our stopgap second baseman. There's a reason why he is kind of the, uh, ultimate backstop, I guess, right? Like he is, he is, if you think about, you know, with prospects, we talk about ceiling and floor. Um, he for right now is the organization's floor at second base. He's saying, they're saying this is minimum acceptability. We're still exploring other options to be able to improve our roster at second base. But if nothing happens, if nobody chooses to come to Milwaukee, if we can't come to any agreement, this is what we'll go with for a month until Kesson here is ready. Okay, so then I, I have another question here from Ted Johnson, who asked, is the crew now out of the market on the remaining free agents at second base, given the Spangenberg signing? And you don't think they are. You think this is purely just a a placeholder in case nothing better comes along. This is the floor. Yeah, absolutely. I think you wouldn't be seeing you wouldn't be seeing the organization acquire somebody with roster flexibility you wouldn't be seeing them uh, explicitly negotiate a split contract 
if they were for sure going to have Spangenberg on the on the major league roster on opening day. Okay, so yeah, it, it's not an exciting move, but I think it does have the potential to to give value. And it, you know, you are always looking to potentially catch lightning in a bottle on a guy for a little bit of time, and this is a guy that you know does do some other things well as far as defense and flexibility. So it gives like, them options, but it, there, this isn't really an exciting move, obviously. No, and it's not meant to be one, right? Like it's meant to be the organizational depth. It's it's meant to be the filler that gets you by if everything else goes badly. This is the option. So you don't have to. And I know this will make some people mad, but this is why this is an option to say we don't have to go with Nate Orff for a little bit. Yeah. Well, right. Like this, this is the Eric Sogard version of what the organization is doing, where Eric Sogard like was OK for a couple of months. And then everybody was like, oh, he did well. And then he stuck around for a little bit. Yeah, that is the uh, thing. I mean, you can catch lightning in a bottle on anybody, even Eric Sogard. You can catch lightning in a bottle and, you know, things can can work out. And it does look like, you know, unlike Jonathan Scope, uh, Spangenberg will take a walk. So you will see that a little bit, though you definitely will not see uh, much power out of him. So you're fairly limited in what he's going to bring power wise. So not nearly the power upside, though. You know, it's actually a little bit better than I thought looking at it. I mean, well, he, and, he and had 20 home runs over the last two seasons and you know, had so. almost 30 doubles. Spangenberg is, is somebody that actually had some fans in, in the scouting community when he was coming up, not saying that he was going to be an absolute stud, but somebody that could be a utility fielder or a utility infielder and, and like carve out a major league role, a la, you know, Aaron Perez or something like that. Somebody that is can be useful in a major league roster for a competing team. Um, and that is kind, kind of the of, thing, because he does seem to be very Hernan Perez like in the positions that he plays. Yeah, but he but what he's not like Hernan Perez is is he doesn't hit for as much power, but he's willing to take a walk. That's how he's a little bit different than Hernan Perez. Perez is like a guy who's going to hit for a little bit of power, never going to take a walk. His at bats are often not very good. Um, Spangenberg's a little bit different than that, right? And he's and also so, a left-handed batter, so that gives you somebody you know another option as far as a lefty off the bench. Yeah, absolutely, and so. It, there's this is not like one of those you know maybe this is going to be the the yuli shasin move of 2019 I, I i would be shocked if Corey spandenberg is anywhere close to that um i think what Corey spandenberg is if you're lucky is somebody that can come in for a good solid month and a half and be pretty good and then spend the rest of the time at AAA to be organizational depth and i think that that's fine it, he doesn't need to be anything more than that for it to be a useful signing They're, they didn't invest much at most they're gonna it's 1.2 million dollars and i you know i i for people who are really excited about the move i'm not sure what they're overly excited about uh but for people who have like been trying to walk this move back or try to explain like why it's not a good move that this move is like nothing this is like when people were hand-wringing the the giovanni gallardo move last uh off season and then in march they were just like yeah we don't need you and then just like cut him loose and everyone's like oh yeah i forgot he was even on the team like it's a little bit like that right yeah and not every move has to be the biggest move i think there's a little bit of desperation for moves right now because we haven't seen a major move yet this off season so uh well 
this did have, uh, and we're going to come to it. So maybe this was your segue, but we did have a pretty big move that just happened. Yep, I was just about to do that. So you you are now playing the role of me stepping on Steve's segues. You are stepping on my segues. So well, it wasn't much of a segue because you literally just said we haven't seen a big move yet. We have seen a big move. People who are listening to it are aware that this happened. I mean, but it isn't that big a move. It's, you know, you're trading a guy who was an up and down player in 2018. He was much more than that in 2017. But anyway, let's talk about the trade of Domingo Santana to the Mariners for Ben Gamel and uh, Noah Zavolas. Zavolas? Zavolas. Sure. Sure. Okay. So uh, the Brewers did make this trade, and on its face, it's a little bit underwhelming. I think that was there was some speculation. We were talking in uh, our group chat last night on Friday night when it was going on about who it was going to be. And you thought it might be for uh, a starting pitcher. When yeah, they- I, I thought that it was going to be Santana plus maybe another piece or two for Marco Gonzalez. And it did not turn out to be that. Uh, so, I mean, if you look at what it, what Gamble is. He last year hit 272, 358, 370. And again, we're talking about a left-handed batter here. So another left-handed batter and another guy who will take some walks. Uh, he he does do that. Um, but and, definitely does not possess the power of Domingo Santana. But we should mention it's Matt Camel's brother. Oh, yeah. And like, I maybe it's because like Matt Gamble came up when I was like, first writing on the brewers and like getting really getting really into you know the farm system and following it and going to see you know uh, going to see a lot of minor league games up in appleton like and doing all of those things but like matt gamble was somebody that i think like the early baseball brewers like like the early brewers blogosphere like the early brewers twitter like really was really wanted matt gamble to be something real like oh, it yeah. really wanted something special um and like and i think uh, the biggest thing was is right when he was starting to turn it around or right when he was starting to actually show something at the plate he just had all the terrible like freak injuries right yeah that running into the wall in san diego that tore his acl mcl whatever it was in his knee ripped his knee up and he missed the rest of that year and he really came back and was never anything like what he had been before that after that point and and so like getting his brother is still Maybe it's a cheese ball thing, but that's still kind of cool. It doesn't like in influence my ability to say like whether or not I thought the move was was underwhelming, overwhelming, or or what have you. Um, but just like as as a, a personal satisfaction, um, it's a really cool connection to be able to say like I would imagine that Matt Gamble comes back to a major league game and we see him again, which would be cool. Yeah, and I mean, so what do you what is your takeaway from this? Because Domingo Santana did have such a bad year in 2018 though as david stearns pointed out when he was talking about the move on friday night he did say you know we he was asked do you wish you traded santana sooner and he said no santana got some big hits for us down the stretch and you know that's absolutely true he he hit a bomb in the playoffs so he was a a useful contributor in some meaningful games for the Brewers this year, even if the overall season was a major disappointment, he did provide those, those moments. So that was helpful, but it is hard to not be underwhelmed by this considering where Santana was 
heading into 2018. And I know we talked a lot on this podcast last winter about the fact that Santana's value was much more limited than what I think the public perception of it was. He was viewed as being a a better commodity than he really was. And that was sort of borne out by the fact that they didn't trade him last winter, even though we know they were looking. They were looking around and they never got a deal that they wanted. And then in right now, when they finally do pull the trigger, they're able to get back Ben Gamble and, you know, maybe a small upside play in a, in a pitcher who's a senior signing. So it is underwhelming and it is, you know, somewhat disappointing given everything that's happened. But what what advantages do uh, Gamble have over Santana? Why did they make this trade, JP? Well, I think it, it's important to recognize... And, and like, I don't want to shed all over Domingo Santana because I actually still like, I still think he can be useful, but this is, this is a baseball environment in which Corey Dickerson has been DFA'd and like just dropped for nothing now twice. And that Corey Dickerson is, is a good major league hitter. We've seen everybody make fun of the Rays because he was a good major league hitter again, but now the pirates are maybe even going to just try to dump him. And like, it's again, because of how available power is in today's economy, baseball economy, how available it is at a corner outfield spot and, and the value of defense and that Domingo Santana is not somebody you feel comfortable playing in right field. And that the power is, um, is there, but he's got flaws in terms of being able to access that power. And so Domingo Santana is a, a, a player that if you have him can be pretty useful especially if he gets in a hot streak. Um, but in terms of like, is he a player you really want to go out and acquire? Not for anything meaningful. And this is something that we've seen over the course of two off seasons. And so while there may be a lot of people to go out and criticize the fact that they weren't able to get all that much, it's useful to think about the fact, and I put this on Twitter when I was uh, stopped <laughs> stopped at a gas station to fill up and uh you know was bored while my gas tank was filling up so i had to pull up twitter and uh and and was like it's useful to think about the fact that 29 teams didn't see the use in acquiring a, a controllable young outfielder who has shown power for two years in a row and it's not because the brewers are dumb that they haven't had the ability to do it. It's just that the market is extremely limited for those types of players. And so what the brewers were able to get is somebody who can play three different positions, somebody that has a different type of value at the plate, somebody who's going to hit for a little bit of average and take a lot of walks, not really hit for all that much power. Though it'll be interesting to see what that power plays in, in Milwaukee compared to a place like, uh, you know, Seattle and the, the AL West, because he actually goes through some stretches uh, I picked him up in a, in in fantasy a couple of times, um, trying to kind of ride him while he was hot a little bit. But Gamble's somebody who play three different outfield positions. He's somebody who's going to hit lefty. And when you're trying to say that the Brewers had Domingo Santana and Keon Broxton, neither of them had options, and they had to figure out how they were going to run that. Gamble not only has an has options remaining, but is both lefty and righty. Broxton, somebody who's going to offer a little bit more power gamble somebody who's going to offer a little bit more of a professional hitting uh, approach he's somebody that can walk a little bit and he's somebody that can play three different positions he's somebody who can hit lefty it's providing matchups 
defensive flexibility, roster flexibility, and, and a guy who has a different offensive profile than the the kind of outfielder that they already have. So for for me, this is is a classic Stearns move that we've seen with somebody like Maldonado. It's 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 moving somebody for a, a similar kind of valuation level, but has more flexibility in terms of roster and in terms of options. But it's also important to recognize that this is about building the best 40 man roster that they can. And what the Brewers felt like they were missing was a left-handed versatile outfielder, maybe a little bit like, uh, it, it basically it, he's not as good of an outfielder. So I'm, I'm not trying to make this comparison, but like basically trying to fill a spot that, that Brett Phillips left, but somebody who could actually hit a little bit better, Brett Phillips. And it's like filling that spot on the 40-man roster. And it's not really about in a vacuum which one was more valuable. Yeah, and I mean, th- it does seem to be a big part of this is the fact that they can send Gamble up and down. And they don't have that option with Domingo anymore. So they needed to get somebody that they still have the roster flexibility for. Uh, you kind of but, alluded to this already a little bit. But uh, Eric P. on Twitter asks us, what does the Santana move for mean for Keon Broxton now? Does this solidify his spot as the fourth outfielder on this team going into the season? I think it does. I think it, it could be the fourth or fifth outfielder spot. I mean, they have a little bit more flexibility to carry two outfielders if they want to, because they're going to offer something completely different. But I think that Keon Boxen probably does make the opening day roster at this point. The The interesting thing, I think, comes when you think about like what does happen if a roster crunch happens, because then Keon Broxton is going to be DFA'd. I think Keon Broxton would absolutely be claimed somewhere. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's a really, I don't love the move to be honest. Like I, I just, I don't know what to really think about it. I, I don't, uh, Matt Gamble's fine. I'm not convinced that they couldn't have found somebody, you know, on the open market to be able to to get somebody with that kind of skill set. I don't know. Maybe I'm not valuing Matt Gamble correctly. I mean, he is a one to two win player over the past couple of years. But I would have liked to have seen Domingo Santana actually packaged with a couple of different players to get something more meaningful. And again, it's impossible to know if that was actually available. I think that there are a lot of people that will say it was available and the Brewers just chose to not do it. And I think that's a disingenuous argument. I'm just surprised that this is the type of move that ends up being the move that Domingo Santana kind of is, is the move that it, that moves him on, I guess. Well, it is um, the kind of move too, like with the Brewers letting Jeanette go or Chris Davis go, there will be an opportunity here. If he does have a good season, there'll be a lot of second guessing on this in the way yeah, but, that there was for those other two moves as well. Well, that, there's certainly, but it's, like and sorry to cut you off but like that that's going to piss me off to no end because if what do you want for Domingo Santana to be on the roster right now do you want him to sit on the bench and play once or twice a week because that's his opportunity for development right like, there just isn't a spot for him and people i think you know th- there are there probably are people that would say well move Braun to first base full time and get rid of uh get rid of Jesus Aguilar, which, you know, he was pretty clearly uh, one of their two best hitters last year. He was, you know, 
between him and Shaw, th- those were the, the second and third best hitters. You can kind of argue about the details, but he was an Kane. incredibly important hitter in that lineup. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, for the for the course of the whole season, Aguilar was more I, valuable with the bat than with than Kane only, was. Kane's value comes from position and defense. No, I think that I think it depends on how it depends on what you're going to do with that uh, that offensive number, right? Because in terms of the bat, you're talking about speed on the bases. You're talking about setting the table up on the top with being able to to actually populate the bases for guys like Aguilar to come up, right? Like Aguilar, sure, I I take the point in terms of like holistic kind of offensive statistics that he pro- he's going to come out higher but in terms of like do i think in terms of the batting order would lorenzo kane or jesus aguilar be a bigger miss i would 100 percent say that is lorenzo kane hmm. yeah i mean potentially going forward i think last year aguilar was the more valuable hitter i i, I mean you're talking about sizable gaps in ops plus deserved runs created all that stuff sizable yeah. sizable gaps but going missing, forward it could be you are missing you are missing base running in that and you're also missing the fact that it was not equitably distributed over the course of the year sure sure um and and so but there's like i'm not making a statistical argument on that right like i'm it, it's a it's it's not you're making absolutely valid points and using valid statistics to be able to say that they're the the second right like i'm not arguing that point i'm just saying from my view i would have taken somebody differently um but like, I don't, I'm actually really happy for Domingo Santana that he's going to have an opportunity to go and get every day at bats. That's just not available in Milwaukee. And it's okay to say that. And it's okay to say that right now, Matt Gamble, and I think that this is hundred percent true. I think Matt Gamble fits the 25 man roster better. He does. Isn't he off living an exceptional lifestyle somewhere? Oh, did I say Matt Gamble? Yeah, you said Matt a couple times. I think if you put Matt Gamble in the in the batter's box and said, "Go stand there and and try to hit something," I'll bet you he could hit something once in a while. But no, I do mean I do mean Ben Gamble. Um, that's gonna be a tough one. It's gonna be Gen Bamble. Uh, so there's good. <laughs> that's good. I do actually like that. That's not terrible. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, um but I think if you're looking at the forty man roster, the forty man roster, and then specifically the twenty five man roster, which one fits the 2019 Brewers better? I think that you would have a really, really tough time saying it's Domingo Santana, other than the fact that people are banking on the fact that 2017 was was quote unquote real. Yeah, because if you look at last year over the course of like Domingo Santana deserved deserved runs created and all that he was not very good like i mean i think he was at least nine i think he had a 91 like with nine percent worse than than the league average in terms of rates oh yeah and he only that only was a product of him having some late season success down the stretch that pushed it back up to something that was at least approaching average he was well below that before he was recalled in september so yeah and i think if if there is one thing that the organization loves it's it's players with options and it's players who can play multiple different positions. And, and Domingo Santana is somebody that just didn't fit the mark there. Um, again, this is not, I still think Domingo Santana is probably a good solid win and a half to, to win player over the course of the year. He's somebody with obvious flaws. He's somebody that you need to be able to compensate. He's somebody that you need to be able to, you know, he's obviously going to fit better in the AL where he can maybe hit D- DH, 
but he's still somebody that has one of the lowest contact rates at, at pitches in the zone. And so if you're saying that, yeah, he doesn't chase many bad pitches, he also doesn't hit very many good pitches. And so he is going to have to be remarkably successful on the on the times he does hit the baseball, which he was in 2017. He wasn't that much in 2018. Even in AAA, he wasn't as good as you'd like to see in kind of a superhuman hitting environment in Colorado Springs. So I don't know. Like it's it's a it's a spot in which I'm actually really happy for him that he's going to be in a situation where he can go get every day at bats. And as much as I am underwhelmed by the 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 return because I thought it could be something more useful, whether it was like being able to package something for a kind of a low like right, we we're talking about Marco Gonzalez or or maybe an impact reliever, but it ends up being somebody that it fits a need that they like Matt, uh, Matt Campbell, Ben Gamble is somebody that is actually going to be able to fit the offensive environment, uh, hitting lefty. He's somebody who can play multiple different positions. He can draw a walk. He offers something different than what Keon Broxton offers. So he fits and checks a lot of the boxes. It's just, it still feels a little underwhelming. To me. Yeah, we had a question a couple weeks ago, and actually I think Gamble is the answer to this. Jay Google had asked which left-handed free agent bat or in the system would fit perfectly as a fourth outfielder. And I think Gamble, it, this sort of brings that point around that this was a need that they had. They needed to get some sort of left-handed bat off the bench to be able to come in and play. Now that Brett Phillips is out of the system, now that all that's cleared out, they did need this and this does take care of that. So anyway, uh, I have another question for you. This is a Patreon question from Darren Jones. Who is going to be the Brewers starting catcher on opening day in 2019? I still think it's Manny Pena. I think Manny Pena is likely to be the opening day starter. Yeah, I do too. I don't think just because I I don't think that they sign now that Wilson Ramos is gone, I don't think they sign Yasmani Grandal. I don't think that they they've got uh too much of an interest in going out and getting JT Real Mudo. And so if that's the case, I think they're probably going to stick with what they've got unless there's a surprise move out there. Um, and if that's the case, I would say Manny Pena probably gets the nod on opening day. Yeah, I mean, it does make the most sense. I would like to see them make a move on Grandal, but, it, you know, there just isn't a lot of smoke with that fire for them. Like, there isn't a lot of connection for them to him. So... I would be surprised at this point if it happened. There's not really smoke of on for Grandall on anyone. To no, honest. that's been pretty quiet so far. I think he ends up being just. I I do wonder if he just winds up re resigning with uh with the Dodgers. Yeah, I mean, depending on what else happens, they they were very active over the past few days as well, and seemed to be lining things up where they could go after Bryce Harper. But we'll see. We'll see how that ends up playing out because I think that they were also connected to, as the Brewers were, uh, to Corey Kluber, who that has been an ongoing discussion. I know Ken Rosenthal, I believe, I believe it was Rosenthal, had mentioned that the Brewers are still checking in on Kluber. Does that feel like a thing that has any chance of happening to you? I don't know how much we've discussed that on here, but it seems very far-fetched to me just because of what it's going to take. Wouldn't it, Wouldn't the the Indians need to get back? Uh, Keston Hira as the base of any deal. 
I don't know. It, it, there's a whole lot of noise that Cleve, well, this is kind of prior to some other moves that they made earlier this offseason. But the largest smoke was Cleveland was trying to package a bad contract with Corey Kluber. And in that way, I, I think that there could be other scenarios in which they don't have to give Kessner. I think straight up for Kluber, Kessner has to go. Can the Brewers um, take on a bad contract? I mean, that. Yes. I mean, how bad is the contract? I mean, I know that you don't want to take on any bad contracts ever. But... Oh, no, no, no. I'm totally fine with taking on a bad contract to get Corey Kluber if if they're willing to spend that money. I'm just I'm skeptical I... they're willing to spend the money at this point. I think that they I the the one that kept being bounced around was Jason Kipnis. Okay, yeah, Kipnis. That was actually we did have a, a a question of that from a friend of mine was asking about that and was saying, "What do you think of taking Kipnis and Kluber together?" I just don't think they're going to do it. I the way they've behaved money-wise this offseason, maybe it all is so that they can go and make a big splash. You know, once prices come more into their liking in terms of what they would have to give up. So maybe they are willing to to take on bad money like that. I just don't see it as likely given the way they've behaved so far. And maybe, again, that is all set up, but it just seems unlikely. And I'm totally, totally on board with taking on bad money to facilitate a trade when it means not giving up my prized prize prospects, JP. I would, I would hope you would know that at this point, that... I, well, I I have I, no problem spending the owner's money. I would I, I would do, much rather have him do that than give up, you know, my my prospect babies. I do understand that, but then a year later, then you'll be worried about that contract, just like you're worried about Braun's contract now. Yeah, I mean, I'm I made my peace with Braun's contract a while ago. But then you'd have to make a piece with another contract that's asking for another four year process of getting to the point where you're kind of OK with that contract. Is Kipnis really signed for another four years? No, it was a joke. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I I made my piece with bronze contract a while ago, but, you know. I think when you look at what Cleveland has done, I think what they've been doing is shedding money so they don't have to do that anymore. I think they've shed the money that they need to shed. I think basically they got to a point that the Marlins did last year in which now they said, basically, okay, now if you do want Christian Yelich, you got to pay. And so I think basically Cleveland has gotten to the point that they said, we, we shed the money that we needed to. If you want Kluber or you want Trevor Bauer, you pay market price. We're not getting into a situation in which we have to shed money in this deal. And I think that... If that's what they needed to do, and I don't understand Cleveland's finances enough to know if that's what they needed to do, my you know, my gut tells me that they're just shedding money because they can. Uh, but in the end, I think if they do move Kluber or Bauer at this point, and I'm actually quite skeptical that they do either. I don't think that they need to anymore. Um, I think that that was... All- all of that was just about trying to figure out a way that they could clear money. And I think that they found a different way to do that now. And I'd, I'd actually be surprised if Kluber goes. I don't think that that makes a lot of sense unless they're really going to get MLB pieces back. Yeah, I have a kind of a theoretical question for you. And this comes from Chris Croninger from a couple of weeks ago on Twitter. What would actually happen if the Brewers spent $200 million? And I want to take this in a slightly different direction than the way I think he literally asked it, because, I mean, I think we would all be pretty happy if that happened, but I don't know if it would be feasible for the team, right? Like, that seems like it is probably pushing some limits that they 
can't currently get to, at least before they sign a new TV contract. Maybe after that point, then it actually would be reasonable. But given the state of the game right now, where there are very few teams who are willing to go over what has essentially become a hard salary cap. I mean, it's it's technically a soft salary cap, and there are teams that are up over it, but it's that that cap is hardening. And it's right around $200 million at this point, and I believe the Red Sox were the only team that was over it last year, and the Yankees and Dodgers both got under it last year, right? So now they've reset, which means they can go over it and not have to accrue. The way this works is the penalties build up over time. So when you go under it for a year, you're able to reset and you're able to not take such stiff penalties. But MLB has increasingly over the last few CBAs has really, really put in place what amounts to a a pretty hard salary cap in place, even though I think people don't understand that that's true. I think it never gets talked about like people still I see on Twitter talking about, oh, baseball is an uncapped sport. And it's like, well, not really. There is a there is a very big difference between saying it is a hard cap or a hardening cap, and that the CBA does that, rather than saying that the owners are unwilling to do it because they don't want to pay it because they don't have to. Well, sure, but in the past they would go over, and there were teams. The Yankees were routinely way over. The Dodgers were routinely way over. The financial yes. incentives have now been aligned so that. It really doesn't make as much sense anymore to go over as it used to. The financial sense, the fi- it doesn't make financial sense anymore. It doesn't have anything to do with capacity. Oh, yeah. There are teams that could be spending the Dodgers, Yankees. Those teams could be spending 300 plus on payroll a year. No problem. It's just there's a, there is a difference. And it's I to me and like this is a hobby horse for me, I guess, but like or like stepping up on a soapbox but there there is there is something to say between it being logical right like that the the system is in place and so it's logical to get under it so you don't have to spend any more than you have to because any kind of luxury tax money that you're paying is essentially financial waste right like it yeah sure if you're somebody looking at the the efficiency for your organization that's fine there's a difference between talking about what makes financial sense and what is logical versus what is possible and versus what is uh you know there's other question about ethics i don't think that that really applies here but it's it's completely disingenuous for teams to say they have to be under this they do not have to be under this they want to be under this because they make more profit that way well because the incentives are very strongly lined up that way now because you get but, penalized harder and harder for being over it. So every yeah. dollar spent over it has less value, has less marginal value. You have, you're able right. to get less for it because it you're going to be paying all these fines. You're going to be paying these penalties. They're now taking away draft picks from teams that go over the, the cap by a certain amount. I mean, it's... I know that, but you're talking about marginal value. You're not talking about capacity again, right? Right, like, right, and, right, right. And so like it's, it's all of these justifications that people can say it's not a smart use of my money. Right. And, and but the the effect is that we've seen teams behaving like it's a like it's a hard cap. No, but that's why I'm saying it's just important to parse that issue because when we say that it's behaving as a hard it's not the CBA's fault. Well, I mean it the CBA it is the it is the fault of the people who put in place the CBA knowing that these financial incentives were going to uh, we're now going to push teams further and further away from going up above that money. Yeah, that was again, they don't have to do it. No, but but 
knowing the baseball market, knowing that teams are being taken over by, and most teams are now run by very smart MBAs, people that have in a you know very high end business acumen and would be you know that are concerned with profit over everything else, right? And you have owners that are also concerned with concerned with profit because it's it's less of a hey this is my hobby than it used to be. I mean that that generation seems to be largely passed on you know mike it, a lot of it went away with mike illich the the detroit tigers owner who was always willing to spend to win before he died and then he died and now the tigers well, are rebuilding look how that works because if you are the new york yankees and you are saying that i want to build a dynasty or i want to win a world series no matter what right now you go and break the bank on machado you go break the bank on kimbrell and you go and say try to handle my my lineup now you go and trade for Gio rio muto and you or JT Rio Muto, and you say, I can afford all of this, no problem. Because they can, they can afford all of that. Mm-hmm. And I think we are going to see at least a couple teams start to jump back over the line, but they're not going to, they're not going to fly past it. The Dodgers were running payrolls in the 270s, 280s, depending on how you counted it, it because a lot of it was dead money that they have, you know, were paying to other teams for, you know, whatever but they were they were running payrolls that were way up there we're not going to see that anymore not until the, the cba situation gets changed because the the penalties for that are so severe that it just it, it nobody who understands finance would be able to justify that so it's just not going to happen anymore you, you won't see it and yeah. but it's it's for and this is just because it's about the terms of the conversation have shifted in baseball to, to not what is when we say what is the smartest baseball move it's become what is the smartest baseball move in terms of value for your money which sure i i don't want i i don't want to go and see the brewers do a bunch of moves that you know are going to financially hamper them in, in two or three years because i want them to be competitive over the course of a longer period of time i understand that but the the needle for what baseball fans especially diehard baseball fans want of their organizations. It has made it so much easier for teams to justify all of these different things in terms of value for money when they're just pocketing all of this more and more in terms of profit because the terms of the conversation have changed. Yeah. And the reality is the brewers can spend more than what they're spending right now. And and hopefully they do by the end of the off season, figure out some ways to actually, bring in some players who can add value to the team which are we are now in a very competitive division with three very good teams between the the cardinals who got better this week adding andrew miller and the cubs who were good before any of this even happened so you're looking at a competitive situation and the brewers right now projected a 97 something payroll uh or actually that was before they made the the moves that they just made so Anyway, they're they're a little bit shy of a uh, hundred million, and they have capped out in the past at opening day payrolls of 104, 105 million. So they are below what their historical highs have been. So for starters, that there's that, and then you look at the fact that the Brewers are going to be renegotiating a TV contract in the next year or two here, and it should pay them multiples of what they were making before my i believe the number was about 24 million a year that they were getting from their current tv contract that should at least double 
if not get close to tripling. So they're going to be making considerably more money. The baseball is making considerably more money right now off of its TV contracts that, that the league shares. And the Brewers have gotten, we, we've been talking about this a little bit. The Brewers got a lump sum payment for the spinning off of MLB advanced media. And I think every team got like 50 million from that, right? Something in that neighborhood. And the Brewers put that into a facility in Maryvale. They, they pumped a lot of that into the, the Maryvale renovation. Well, but so I think um, so to get back to the point about the two, the, the, the question, which I think is a good question. And the honest answer is I, I have no idea. And I don't know. And none of us know. And the reason why ultimately these conversations always go round and around in a huge circle is because teams 100% refuse to open their books to let anyone see how much money they make. How much money they spend? What's the profit margin? How much can they handle? All of that is a complete black box. And it's designed to be that way because then nobody can make demands on them in terms of how much they should spend. All of this is just a gut feeling. All of this is saying that we feel like they should be able to spend more. We don't know. Honestly, I have no idea. And I mean, you can make some educated guesses, though. You can make some educated guesses, but even then you're still flying blind. Yeah, all there's ed- still a lot of things you can't know. All all our educated guesses are are based on like historical numbers and what they've done in the past, and that ignores inflation. It it ignores new revenue streams. It ignores uh, new TV contracts, like you're talking about. It ignores uh, baseball advanced media that's selling their data elsewhere. Like right, like they're doing so many different things now, and the revenue streams are so different um, that it's it's hard to know what the brewers can, can spend. I have, I have no idea. And ultimately, I think that if I want that conversation to to have a takeaway, it's that's exactly what Mark Antanasio wants. There's if if there would be no chance in hell that they would open up the books to allow people to see how much they could they could spend. I mean, my gut says if they wanted to add Corey Kluber and Kipnis to their payroll right now, they could do that and still easily be profitable. That wouldn't be a I mean, I would imagine so, but again, we're just guessing, right? Right. But there is a certain artificialness to the to the limitations that get put on here, and it at some point there's going to be a work stoppage. I mean, I don't know how we've really not talked about that much on here, but it is coming because players have become extremely agitated with the way that free agency is working now because the basic the basic. Uh, deal the basic bargain that has existed since the mid 70s when this happened when free agency began was you're going to put in your time in the big leagues and you're going to make league minimum for three years then you're going to make an arbitration set price where it's still well below your market value and then you're going to get to free agency and then you're going to get paid for what you did basically and that was sort of the way the players understood it and that's the way it behaved for a very long time And then teams realized over the past 10 years that that was stupid to pay players for what they did as opposed to what they're going to do. And so teams have largely stopped paying players for what they did and now pay much more based on what they're going to do. And that has led to a generation of players not getting what they thought they were going to get in free agency. And and they're mad. 
well and they're not getting recuperated for the artificial depression of their salaries over the first six six years of their professional career right and there are a lot of guys who especially pitchers who never really because of injuries you might be a very good pitcher early in your career and then never get to the point where you're going to like think of how valuable matt harvey was for a few years there he's never going to make money make that money back in terms of what kind of value he provided in those early years he will never get that back and there there's you know a whole a whole bunch of these guys Dallas Keiko will never get paid for the value he provided the Astros over over those years it just that's not how the system works and so there are going to have to be adjustments and the players are gearing up by the sounds of it they've hired a a guy who is a a master of intellectual property rights to be one of their chief negotiators and to really run the negotiating side of their their next CBA contract, which comes up in a couple of years. And by the sounds of it, the early rumblings are they're ready to go to war. So we are probably looking at our first work stoppage since 1994-95 coming up in this next CBA. And it's going to be it's going to be something depending on what kind of leverage the players, because the players are going to want to get back some of this value that they've lost over the past few CBAs and ownership is not going to just give that up. You know, they're not going to say, Oh, we, yeah, we, you're right. We really did take advantage of you over those last couple CBAs. Let us give you some of that value back. That's not how it works. There, there has to be some leverage applied the other direction and we'll have to see how that plays out. But it is it is a thing that is coming down the pike. So anyway, one last question before we go. Uh, this comes from Steve Romanesco, and he is a Patreon supporter. And he wants us to just do a quick refresher on some some basic saber metric stats like defensive or I'm sorry, deserved runs created. I keep doing that. Deserved runs created, which is the new baseball prospectus uh, batting stat. Uh, how that compares to like WRC uh, plus and just kind of looking at some of these things, like how they compare to uh, things like war and batting average and all those things. What are the value of these stats? Let's let's really talk about the def- uh, deserved runs created, because that's a new thing. And it's been a discussion point this winter. Yeah, so I think the biggest thing to to realize for deserved runs created and weighted runs created, like the WRC plus and the DRC plus, is the plus means that it's going to be um, weighted against what's league average, right? So it, it's a much easier stat to look at to say so and so if they're 110, right? They have a they have 110 DRC plus. That means they're 10 percent better than league average hitter. Easy. It's the exact same thing that OPS plus used to try to do. Uh, well, still does. Still does. Um. It's not like it went away. The but the the advantage that weighted runs created tried to do it was tried to be a holistic number in terms of encompassing offensive uh, capabilities and offensive value. And it tried and it's weighted so that every outcome is weighted. Like a walk is weighted against the value of a single, against the value of a double, against a triple, and a home run. Right. 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 And so what DR what DRC brings to the table and the reason why it's it's much more successful in terms of being able to kind of encapsulate a player's offensive value is um, context matters. 
a, a walk doesn't mean the same thing in every situation. A single doesn't mean the same thing in every single game situation. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean the same thing when the quality of pitcher you're playing is not as good. So what it tries to do is actually bring context into the situation to try to better weight outcomes. And the one thing that DRC has been able to show in baseball prospectus does really good things on this. I'm sure Jonathan Judge, if you wanted to to talk to him on Twitter, would be able to give a lot better information here. Harry Pavlidis, I'm sure, would be able to do this far better than I, I can do as well. Yeah, Jonathan Judge is at Baklaw, and Pavlidis is what? Harry I think, Pav, I think. Yeah, I think so. And the the important thing to remember is all of these have been run in terms of regression analysis to be able to show year on year which one is more predictive of the numbers that happen the next year so not only are they trying to be able to show what it you know value in a current year it's trying to be able to say that looking at this number you can better predict what they're going to be able to do next year and that drc over i don't know what the the time frame they looked at but was showed that they were far more successful in being able to predict what a player was able to do offensively the next year and way more than our than than weighted runs created, far more than OPS, far more than uh, the, than true average, which is what Baseball Prospectus was using in the past. And so, as of right now, as I understand it, DRC is not only just the best public facing offensive number that's available at the moment; it's actually the closest to what uh, big league organizations are using for their own calculations. Yeah, and just to give you an idea of how that fits within the Brewers, you have a guy like Christian Yelich who takes a, a bit of a hit when you look at his uh, DRC compared to his, his WRC. So what they're predicting is a little bit of a, of a come down to earth, which I think we're reasonably all sort of expecting that, that it's probably not likely that this massive binge that he had is going to be repeated. I think he did take a legitimate step forward as a player this year, but I don't know necessarily if we're looking at a perennial MVP, uh, you hope, but you know, it's probably not wise to expect that at least. Um, and I know Travis Shaw was one of the f- players that really benefited when you looked at DRC, that he really came out well. And Jesus Aguilar did as well. Um, Eric Kratz actually was ahead of Manny Pena. So that was a, a weird thing. Um, yeah. on the downside. Yeah. We already talked about Yelich a little bit as being a little bit of a, of a, a come down there. And I don't know if there's anybody else who was really notable that was particularly low on that. I think that that's much more reflective of the fact that the Brewers had a black hole after those big names that we already know. But, uh, well, uh, Orlando Arcia was the worst hitter in baseball. Yes. Well, of qualify or guys who got to a certain point. Yeah. No, rate wise, he was the worst. He had a 56. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Yes. So he was very, very low. Yeah. That means he's 44% worse than the league average hitter. Yeah. So. We hope that he turns back more into the player he was in twenty uh, yeah. in twenty seventeen and can Absolutely. get back to that again. And I was going to say that um, for those not mathematically inclined, forty four percent worse than league average is not ideal. So we're going to hope that it swings back the other way. Um, so yeah, the the Brewers were had extreme high end. They had extreme room for improvement, or is what Jonathan and I talked about. Jonathan Judge and I talked about on Twitter is he kind of gave a, a nice little range on Baseball Prospectus in terms of like 
100 is league average 120 you know is is above average 140 is like is all-star and then like anything higher is just like you know elite and was going down the other way and it was like 60 is dfa and i was like then what's 56 and he was like he goes fields position really well i was gonna say you you better be fielding your position pretty well at that point which in fairness arcia does so and he's also you know in his early 20s so you could still look for improvement from that there was a second part of this question that i think is a great way to end this so uh this is again steve romanesco asking he said who are some of your favorite brewers throughout history who are good people stories but maybe not the best players mark de felice yeah see that was going to be mine de felice yeah. was i mean he was an amazing one to follow in the minors and i can still picture the picture that he had because he was wearing a hat that was too tight and it made his brow kind of furrow so it looked like he had lines right in between his eyebrows that was really weird um because i remember looking at those those pictures and his stats all the time in triple a and he I mean, was I, he was a big one i loved chris capuano yeah but he was actually really good for a while what doesn't mean what he said it says but maybe not the best players like i could pick ricky weeks but he was actually a really good player for a while so i don't think i don't think chris capuano was the best one of the best players um capuano in 2005 2006 was a legitimately really really good pitcher i think that uh a that is fundamentally judging him about uh the quality of the other pitchers the brewers had into in the 2000s well i mean uh, they they had some pitchers in that era the doug davis was on the team at that time and sheets was obviously you know prime sheets 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 was incredible capuano even at his prime was like a number three yeah yeah which i don't qualify as being one of the best Sure. Capuano is fun. Um, Chris Narvison was was a lot of fun that way um, for a brief period in 2011. I think mostly he was he was a fun one that way. I'm trying to think of other guys. Yeah, I mean, there are there are a lot of guys that like supposedly were just phenomenal, phenomenal people um, like Aaron Burgos was a guy that just everyone in the organization just loves. Oh yeah, and he'll love him. Um, he was a guy who worked with a lot of younger pitchers. Somebody that probably is going to be a pitching coach down the down the road, uh, if he isn't already, actually. Um, but in terms of people that I talk to in the organization, absolutely love him. Just think he is a fantastic person. You know, currently the Brewers have a guy like this who is a talented player and has made some really really cool plays, but is a, a larger than life personality. And I just think of his uh, after Eric Thames hit the home run and he did the impression of him walking down the dugout. Keon Broxton's impression of Eric Thames. That one sticks with me forever. That still might be one of my like most retweeted tweets was that that little video snippet of him doing the Eric Thames impression is pure magic. Absolute magic. I'll see if I can dig that out and throw that back up on Twitter so people can see it again in case you, you don't remember what that was. But his impression of Eric Thames after he had a home run, this was in 2017, was pure magic. Absolute magic. I think uh I know a lot of people listening to this will remember him. He's not, you know, an under the radar guy, but like Casey McGee, uh was supposedly a great clubhouse guy, just like a wonderful person. Um, a lot of fans in Milwaukee in terms of the organization as a whole. Um that Tim Dillard 
I know that there's been a lot about the fact that he is signed with uh, Texas. He signed with Texas because they play in Nashville. He gets to stay at home. It's good for him and his family. We oh, did, wish did he leave? Uh, I, you may have heard something about it. I think I missed uh, that story. Well, we can send you all 27,000 articles. And Tim Dillard supposedly has worked with players really, really well. Latroy Hawkins was another guy that uh, that people really liked. Um, Solomon Torres was another guy that people really liked. I think about um, the Latroy Hawkins, uh, him the, him mentoring uh, Niger Morgan, and the, yeah. that you, you you're being T plus right now. You need to be T hush. <laughs> and supposedly, like, just bought a bunch of like suits for for Tim Dillard because. That's like what people did for Troy Hawkins or Latroy Hawkins when he first got into the big leagues. And he was like, this is what you do as a, as a professional. It's like, you just like, get off the bus. We're going to go buy some suits. Yeah. Yeah. The, he is, he is kind of that old school guy that way. Um, and yeah, you had gone on to Salman Torres who now runs his own Academy in the uh, Dominican, right? Dominican. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, some yeah, guys, brewer- some guys like that stand out in my mind. Yeah. The brewers actually purchased, um, their first complex from him. That's right. Yes, they did. Um, and you, you often hear a lot of catchers that way as well, that like are just really big clubhouse guys. Brent Suter, it, like right now, is a huge clubhouse guy that people really love. Um, he is a magnetic to, personality. You can see it on little snippets on TV that he is yeah. that way. And I mean, you can with Keon too. Those are the guys who kind of stand out right now in my mind. And I, I hear about Perez. I think he's a little bit more subtle. It's a little bit more low key. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Orlando Arcia supposedly has a great relationship. I mean, to tell you the truth, most people in the organization right now have, have really great relationships. Um, and I think that's something that Craig council really tries to, to bring out. Craig council is actually another one that probably deserves mention with that. Like the, the just, Prince Fielder, I'll punch you in the face if you bunt story. <laughs> I mean, Prince Fielder, I know that he was one of the best ones, but, um, you know, I still th- I still love one of my favorite stories is the ESPN article. I think it was by Jerry Krasnick about um, Prince Fielder's last game with uh, with Milwaukee and like Casey McGee, like was crying when he was done. And because Prince Fielder supposedly, so Casey McGee, a lot of people probably know that Casey McGee's uh, son was it MS or like, oh, I don't remember exactly, but it, he had some sort of very serious medical condition. Yeah, has a has a serious medical condition, and and um and the Brewers were were involved in in trying to you know do the best that they could to help, and and Prince Fielder, I guess, like kind of went above and beyond everybody else to kind of help Casey McGee and his family and. And that Casey McGee gave an interview afterwards and like crying and said that, you know, he's one of the the few men that I would be proud to say that I love you to. And which like it has a lot of things about just like, why do you need to qualify like that? But in terms of just like a baseball story is, is, is really nice as well and speaks a lot to, to what Prince Fielder meant to not only just the city of Milwaukee, which we know these things, but people in the actual organization as well. Um, do you retire Prince Fielder's number? We're really going. This is turning into the end of a uh, minor league extra right now. But I, I, I have to ask that: Does Prince Fielder's say, number get retired? I think Bronze does. I'm not sure I, if Fielder's does. I was going to say I'm going to cut you off. I say probably. I'm going to say probably not. I don't want to discuss it anymore because I don't even know what the qualifications would be. <laughs> I think you have to make the Hall of Fame. All the all the retired numbers are guys who made the Hall of Fame. So maybe Fielder would be the first one who isn't going to make the Hall of Fame. Who other than Euchre? Euchre's in the Hall of Fame, JP. Well, 
Okay. I mean, seriously. And he, he, yes, you're right. You are right. You so, know what I meant. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Anyway, we should wrap it up now because we are hitting our, our time here. So uh, first off, we'd like to say everybody have a very uh, wonderful holidays and uh, be safe, as JP and I talked about before. Don't do anything stupid. Um, and we should give a quick shout out to uh, Devin Bearwolf and Tim Young who uh, joined the Patreon. So hopefully you enjoy the last, uh, the last minor league pod. And hopefully uh, we're working on getting a guest for the January minor league podcast as well. Oh, okay. And so you have that to look forward to coming up. We will not be re- uh, releasing an episode the week between Christmas and new year's unless something truly big happens. If a Corey Kluber trade happens, I'm taking equipment with me on my holiday travels so I will have the ability to do something and put something together and I'll see who I can convene together to put together a podcast. But uh, we're not planning on having anything now until the weekend of the would be the 7th of January would be that following Monday. So that's our next scheduled podcast. So, so again, we wish you the happiest of holidays and a, and a wonderful new year. And you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com. Uh, slash Milwaukee MKE tailgate. Wow, I can read. Patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for the Milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and we are now on Spotify. You can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. Uh, Thanks for listening and look for us again in a couple weeks on Milwaukee's Tailgate.